thinking through something called the story, and I, I would just encourage you to listen today to what God has for you. You know, at the bottom, there's a little, there's a little sheet in there that says notes, and one of the last questions I ask is, what, what is God saying to you today? And so I have found that typically, I mean, I take a lot of notes. I might take a lot of notes and different things, but typically there's probably just one thing that in any given message that I hear, one thing specifically that God's trying to get through to me on. And so uh, I would just invite you to pray that you would hear what it is uh, God is wanting to speak to you about. If you have a Bible, or there's probably one underneath the pew in front, uh, we're going to be looking at in First Samuel, and you can turn there. Uh, I'm gonna. It'll be a little intro until we get there, but I wanted to just do a couple things here as we begin. As I begin this message, one of the reasons why we are are doing this story is. We're doing this story because Psalm 78, this is what it says. Give ear, O my people, to my teaching and incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter the dark sayings from of old. Things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. And we will not hide them from our children, but tell them to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. He established a testimony in Jacob, appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach their children that the next generation might know them. The children yet unborn may arise and tell them to their children so they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments, and that they should be like their they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. Our faith is only one generation from extinction. And as we go through the story of Israel and as we're going through God's story, I don't know if you've noticed something, but time and time again it says that the people followed God and the next generation fell away we've seen that time and time and time again and so one of the reasons why we're going through the story is that we want to pass this on to the next generation that they might pass it on to the next generation so I'm just going to I'm going to walk through the story again. I, I like to do this every so often because one of the goals that I have is that when we get to the end of August, we'll be through the story. And, and one of the goals that I have for myself and for each one of us is that, that you could sit down with your children, you could sit down with somebody on, a, on an airplane, you could, uh, you could sit down with your grandchildren, and you could tell them the story. From Genesis to Revelation, the story of what God is doing in the world. So, we go back, and uh, help me with this. In the beginning, we start with what? Okay, even before creation. In the beginning, there's God. God is before his creation. So we see in the beginning, there is God. Then we see that God, yes, does the creation. And this is, if you can imagine, this is like doing the set on a play. 
So God is creating the set in which he's going to live out this drama. The pinnacle of creation is mankind, Adam and Eve. And we see they're in this amazing relationship in the garden. Everything's perfect with God. And then comes the day when we have the, the fall. And everything changes. Your life today was so dramatically, I could not overemphasize enough the implication of the fall upon your life and mine. Everything in our lives changed. And so we see the first great tragedy of that is who? Cain and Abel. Imagine one of your siblings killing another out of anger. And so we see that the world continues to go on for almost a thousand years, and God looks down, and he can no longer tolerate the continual progression of sin, and so he decides to bring judgment upon the earth, and he picks out a man by the name of Noah. He preserves Noah's family through the flood, and on the ark, Noah comes out, and we see that several hundred, probably about 400 more years go by, and then God decides to build a nation, and he picks a man by the name of Abraham. Abraham's old. He and his wife can't have kids, but miraculously, they have a son named Isaac. They tried it on their own earlier with the maidservant, and they had a son named Ishmael, the father of the Arab nations. Isaac, father of the Jewish nations. Isaac gets married. They have two boys. One's name is Esau, and the other, Jacob. Jacob goes on to have 12 sons. And one of those sons is, is very influential because God is wanting to bring his people into the land of Egypt. And his name is Joseph. We see that Joseph then goes to Egypt he, uh, and, and brings the people of God into Egypt. And it's there for 400 years that they become enslaved to the Egyptians. And so God raises up someone to save them by the name of Moses. Moses leads them out of Egypt, leads them through the covenant that God makes with them on Mount Sinai, leads them up to the promised land, and they choose not to go in because of unbelief. Thought it was too big a task. And so they wander around until finally Moses dies, and a man by the name of Joshua comes along, leads them in, helps them conquer the land, and yet the people still do not uh, force out the evil influence in their land, and so we have this repetitive sin and repent cycle, and God continues to raise up people called judges. The judges are there, and one of the last, towards the end of that period, as we saw last week, God comes and, and he demonstrates a, a very powerful truth that God's blessing is not just for Israel, it's also for foreign nations and foreign countries, and we see God working in the life of a woman named Ruth. So that brings us up to today, and we're going to jump into the book of 1 Samuel. We're going to look at 13 chapters today, and obviously we're not going to be able to read them all. 
But we're going to just walk through the lower story. We're going to look at God's story, and then we're going to talk about our story this morning. So let me just talk through the story. Here's the story. There's a guy by the name of Elkanah, and he has two wives. One wife is really enough. That's all. I can hardly handle one wife. I don't know why people did this in those days, but they did it. And you know, yeah, when, when you read through the Bible, there are, there are things that you go, this doesn't seem like it's right. And you know what? You are right. There are a lot of things in the Bible that you read, and God doesn't necessarily approve of it. So for whatever reason, Elkanah had two wives, Penina and Hannah. And there was problems. You ever notice that anytime someone has more than one wife, there's problems? <laughs> Solomon had problems. We had earlier stories where there's more than one wife and there's jealousy and there's conflict, and this is exactly what happens in this story. Hannah couldn't have children, and her husband loved her more, which obviously didn't sit well with the other wife and so there's problems and so every year they would go to Shiloh and Shiloh is a place where they would worship God and they would come and <clears throat> we see that, that, that in this situation that the one wife Penina that she would taunt uh, Hannah and she would make fun of the fact that she couldn't have any children and that she wasn't going to have any children and you know, her husband felt sorry for her. And we, we see here in the, in the story, it's, 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 it's a very interesting story. Chapter 1, uh, <coughs> 1 Samuel, <coughs> chapter 1, verse 8. Uh, we see him talking to Hannah, Elkanah. And Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? Why, why do you not eat? She would get so upset that she couldn't eat. And we can, we can understand this. It was very, uh, very difficult for her and her, her sisters taunting her. Why do you not eat and why is your heart sad? Am I not more to you than ten sons? Not a good line, guys. Am I not, you know, why are you so sad? Am I not worth more than you than ten sons? I don't think so. <clears throat> Probably not. And so nothing soothed her, and so she was crying out to God, and the priest Eli saw her, and he thought she was drunk, because she was just kind of, she wasn't saying any words, but she was just crying out to God. And he comes up to her, and she says, no, I, I haven't been drinking. She says, I'm just, I'm just so broken about this. And so Eli prays for her. She goes back home, and she gets pregnant. And she she bears a son by the name of Samuel. And you know, when she was praying there in the temple, she said, God, if you will give me a child, I will dedicate this child to your service. And so God gave her a child, and you have to hand it to Hannah. You know, this is her, her first child, her only child. And after the child is weaned, she comes and she, she gives, she drops the child off in, at the temple, and Samuel would grow up there for the rest of his life. Every year they would come and visit. It says she would make a robe for him. And so, so they came by every year. And so Samuel's growing up here. Well, well the next 
main part of the story is something that it would happen that would change Samuel's life forever. Chapter 3, verse 1. Listen to what it says. Now, the young man Samuel was ministering to the Lord under Eli, and the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There were no frequent visions. So God was really quiet. God was really quiet here in this situation. But that night, everything was going to change. So Samuel's laying in bed, and he hears his voice, Samuel, Samuel. And so he, he thinks that Eli's calling, so he goes into Eli, says, Eli, what do you want? And Eli probably thought he was dreaming or something and said, I, I didn't call you, go back to bed. Goes back to bed, same thing happens again. Eli says, you know, just go back to bed. I, I didn't talk to you. <clears throat> the third time he comes, all of a sudden it clicks with Eli. And Eli goes, I think God's talking to you. Go back, and, and next time, if you hear the voice again, if you hear that voice say, speak, for your servant is listening. And so Eli, or uh, Samuel goes back and lays down again. He hears a voice and he says, speak for your servant is listening. And, and Samuel didn't know the Lord at this time, but he was about to. And so he hears God actually speaking to him. And here's what God, sa- here's what God told him. Then the Lord said to Samuel, this is chapter 3, verse 11. I'm reading from the ESV this morning. So, <clears throat> Behold, I am about to do a thing in Israel at which the two ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. On that day I will fulfill against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. And I declare to him that I am about to punish his house forever for the iniquity that he knew because his sons were blaspheming God and he did not restrain them. Therefore I swear to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. That's a heavy message for a young boy. And so we see here that, you know, Eli comes and he wants to know, what did, what did God say last night? You can imagine. What, what, did, what did God say to you? And Samuel did not want to tell him. And, and I can understand this. I, I can understand this. I, I remember a... Uh, I've had a couple situations. I remember one situation where I was in my office one day and I was, I was just studying, minding my own business, and all of a sudden, I just, God spoke to me. <clears throat> and how he spoke to me was I, came, I became extremely unsettled in my spirit for no reason. It's just like somebody had told you some terrible news and you're all disturbed. It came out of nowhere. I had no idea what was going on. And so I just, I just kind of said, what's going on here? What? what why am I feeling like this? What's happening? And I do not recommend this. I, I don't do this, but I, I did it that day. And I felt the Lord just telling me to open my Bible. And I opened it to a passage in Ezekiel. And, and I read the chapter. It was, it was to the watchman. And he said, I want you to go and I want you to, in this situation, I want you to speak uh, about the sexual immorality of this person, 
of the people in, in Ezekiel. I want you to speak to them about, your, about their sexual morality, and if they don't stop it, I'm going to destroy them. And then immediately a name came into my mind of someone that was in, in the church that I was, was not here, just so you know. And uh, I remember the feeling of going, I, I don't know that I, this is a message I really want to go and share with someone. And yet it says right in the text, it said, Ezekiel, if, it said, if you do not do this as my watchman, his blood will be upon your shoulders. So, so I went, and I just came to this person and said, look, this, I'm sitting in my office, and God gave me this message, and I need to, I need to give it to you. Here it is. You can read it uh, in this chapter. And I just summarized it, and I, I gave it to him, and, and I left. And uh, interesting, he'd just been, this person had just been promoted to a different job in, in the company, and the next, that was on a Saturday. On, on Monday, he, uh, he went back to his previous job. It was more money, but he, he declined the promotion, went back. A couple weeks later, I, I heard from someone at work that there were rumors going on about uh, this person and, and someone that they had been working with. And so there was no doubt in my mind that, that that's what God was doing. Well, this is a situation where God speaks a, a negative message to Samuel and Samuel doesn't want to talk about it and uh, but here's what Eli here's what Eli says uh, in, in this situation chapter 3 verses 17 and 18 and Eli said what was it that he told you do not hide it from me may God do so to you and more also, if you hide anything from me of all that he told you. So Samuel told him everything and hid nothing from him. And you got to respect Samuel's response. You know, he just told him that God's going to destroy you and your family for your sin. And this is what Samuel says. It is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. That's quite a response. And so we see, and uh, as we go through the story here, we'll see how this plays out. What happened was the Philistines come and they attack Israel. They killed 4,000 people. Israel says, we, we got to do something. So they went to Shiloh and they got the ark. Even the ark was the manna and the Ten Commandments and Aaron's rod and, and so we're going to bring that to the place here. And so they went and got it, and they brought it. The Philistines attacked again. This time they killed 30,000 and took the ark with them. So they thought they'd set the ark up next to their god, Dagon, which they did. They put it in there. They set it up, and there's this massive stone uh, statue of, of Dagon, and it crumbles into dust. God's saying, you gods are no, they're no match for me. And then the people broke out in tumors, and everybody was getting tumors, and finally the Philistines said, here, please, take it back. And they, they brought it back to, uh, to Israel and gave the ark back to them. We see that in that battle, however, Eli's sons were both killed. They came back and they shared the news with Eli, 
And, and he was so taken back that he, it says he fell over backwards in his chair and broke his neck and died. The father and both his sons, just as God had said, died in that situation. Well, Samuel grows old, and he appoints his two sons as judges. However, those two sons were not following God. They were taking bribes. They were doing injustice, we see here in, in the story. And so the people came, and they said, you know what? We're tired. We're tired of, of falling away and all this, and now we've got two new judges, and we don't trust them. And so this is what they said. And this is the main, chapter 8 is really a, a pinnacle point here and the main focus this morning. Chapter 8, verses 4 and 5, Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ram and said to him, Behold, you are old, and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations. They wanted a king. And so <clears throat> this is very disturbing for Samuel. And he senses here the rejection of God. And so what we find in, in verses 6 and following, I'm just going to read that through because this, this is a very important piece here of the story. But the thing displeased Samuel when he said, Give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, Obey the voice of the people and all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you. They have rejected me from being king over them. According to all the deeds that they have done from the day I brought them up out of Egypt, even to this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are also doing to you. Now then, obey their voice, only you shall solemnly warn them and show them the ways of the king who shall reign over them. Then Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking for a king from him. And he said, These will be the ways of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and, and daughters and appoint them to his chariots and to his horsemen and to run before his chariots. He will appoint for himself commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties and some to plow his ground and to reap his harvest and to make his implements of war and the equipment of his chariots. He'll take your daughters to be perfumes and cooks and perfumers and cooks and bakers. He'll take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive orchards and give them to his servants. He'll take a tenth of your grain and of your vineyards and give it to his officers and to his servants. He will take your male servants and female servants, the best of your young men and your donkeys, and put them to his work. He will take the tenth of your flocks and you shall be his slaves. And in that day you will cry out because of your king whom you have chosen for yourselves. But the Lord will not answer you in that day. So he warns them. And he comes back to the people and they listen to him and they say, we've heard you but we still want a king. We still want a king. And so God gives them a king. Chapter 9, verse 2. And he had a son. He's talking about a, 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 a man here of Benjamin. 
He said he had a son whose name was Saul, a handsome young man. There was not a man among the people of Israel more handsome than he. From his shoulders upward, he was taller than any of the people. Tall, dark, and handsome. This is a guy. I mean, we don't know how tall he was, but he said everybody else came up to here. And this was somebody, you know, I, th- I just think it's interesting that God said, you want a king? You want to admire somebody? I'll take the best-looking guy in the land and give him to you. But Saul was humble. When he was asked, he said, who am I? But with power, power corrupts. And we're going to see that all through the story, whether it's Saul or David or Solomon, uh, they will start, all start off humbly, but pride will enter in and disobedience and rebellion against God. And, and so it was with Saul. So we see here, uh, we, we see that Saul fails to obey God. He starts making mistakes. Uh, we don't have time to go through all the stories. At one point, he, Samuel was going to come and offer sacrifice before they went to war, and he got tired of waiting, so he offered his own sacrifice. Uh, they were miserably defeated. And so we see as time went on, the people realized that this wasn't working out. And so in chapter 12, this was their response as, as they came beginning with verse 19, chapter 12. And all the people said to Samuel, pray for your servants to the Lord your God that we may not die, for we have added to all our sins this evil to ask ourselves for a king. And Samuel said to the people, do not be afraid. You've done all this evil. Yet do not turn aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. And do not turn aside after empty things that cannot profit or deliver, for they are empty. For the Lord will not forsake his people for his, great na- for his name's sake, because it has pleased the Lord to make you a people for himself. And then Samuel says, Far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you. I will instruct you in the good and right way. You know, this is really a powerful statement because... I don't know where you are this morning, but if you haven't in the past, you you probably will again in the future. You find yourself in this place where you know you've you've strayed away. You you know you've gone your own way. And what Samuel says here to the people is, yeah, you made a big mistake here. But don't give up on your faith. Don't stop seeking the Lord. Seek the Lord in the midst of this situation. Seek him in the midst of this situation. He says, if you do, the Lord, will, the Lord will bless your life. But if you don't, verse 25, but if you still do wickedly, you shall be swept away, both you and your king. And so, you know, if you're here today and there's something in your life that you know you have been resisting God, you know you've been disobedient to God in, the message here is that there is still grace for you But as God warns you, and as the text says, if you're going to scorn his grace, then eventually you will be swept away. And so we we see a great lesson here in the story. Well, 
That's the, that's the lower story as we have it. First 13 chapters. Samuel, people want a king. This is going to usher us out of the era of the judges, and this is going to be the hinge point of moving into the area of the kings. So how is God looking at this? You know, from the upper story. I'm just going to mention one, just have time to mention one thing here. Here it is. Having a king was never God's plan. Having a king never was and still isn't God's plan. It was man's invention, but it was not how God designed things to run. We see that God's plan was that he would be the king and that he would rule, that he would rule over them and that he would speak to them through his godly leaders that would be raised up. And so that was God's design for the nations. We see, we look again here at what God said would happen from chapter 8. It says, you'll make your sons run in front of his chariots. He'll send them to war. He'll use them to plow his fields. He'll take your daughters to fix his food. He'll take the best of what you have and use it for his own colleagues. He'll take a tenth of your stuff. You'll become enslaved to him and the systems that he creates. In other words, if you want a king, if you want an earthly king, if that's who, what, you, what you want to look to, I'll tell you what you're going to get. You'll get somebody who eventually will take advantage of you, who will eventually diminish your rights and, and diminish your freedom. Does that sound familiar to anything? I mean, we know what that's about. We know what that's about. And it was not God's plan. It, it still is not God's plan. You know, that there are different kinds of government. There are, there's democracy. I don't think there are any democracies uh, existing today. A, a, a democracy is a country where the majority rules. If 51% of the people want this, then that's what happens. The, the bottom line in a true democracy is the will of the people, whatever that is, that's what happens. we see that there is a monarchy, a monarchy, and there's an absolute monarchy with, where one person uh, basically dictates everything. We see an extreme of that with, with Hitler. Uh, some of the kings and emperors in Old Testament days were monarchy. Uh, we see a, a, less, a much more moderate form of that in queens and kings. And uh, in the more moderate forms, those people work with cabinets and other people. And then we see that there's a republic. By the way, we, uh, you know, if you know your Pledge of Allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the, it's not, not to the democracy, it's to the republic. We are a republic. A republic is, is, uh, is a uh, form of government where people elect officials who then vote on their behalf, uh, restricted under something called the Constitution. It's not, you know, if the majority of people want something, first of all, it may not necessarily happen if the elected people don't vote for it, and secondly, if it, if it contradicts the Constitution, the Constitution draws those boundaries. 
And then there's a theocracy. And a theocracy is a form of government where God or a deity is recognized as the ultimate authority. And although we live in a republic, I, I believe our founders intended to, uh, to have this republic resemble in some ways theocracy because if you think of the pledge, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, what? Under God. Our nation was set up under God. And of course, somehow that's gotten lost in translation now because that's not how our country is viewed. And so we see here that God's plan always was that nations would be under him and that he would be able to reign and work through godly leaders uh, within those nations. Why didn't God want them to have a king? Doesn't sound like such a bad idea. Well, 1 Samuel 8, 7, it tells us. It says, And the Lord said to Samuel, Obey the voice of the people and all they say to do, for they've not rejected you. They have rejected me from being king over them. They already had a king. That's why it was such an offense to God. They were really replacing him is what they were doing here. We see here that that God's plan was to rule over Israel as king through his revealed word and through godly leaders that would listen to him. We see here that uh, it's very interesting to me as, as we look at the story of, of the king. And this is Palm Sunday. I, I think it's kind of amazing that we ended up here today on Palm Sunday of, of all Sundays. Because at this point, in the, as we, we're going to move a thousand years ahead and we'll get to this in the story, but a thousand years from now, we're going to be in the Gospel of Luke. And when we get to Luke, let me just read these words for you because it's all about, again, this cry, this longing for a king. And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, Would you that even you had known on this day the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up barriers around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground and the children within you, and they will not leave one stone upon another because you did not know the time of your visitation. You know, this is so ironic. People want a king. They want a king. They want a king. They want a king. And the king comes. The God of the universe becomes a man, comes in a flesh, walks amongst them. And five days later, instead of waving palm branches, they're going to be crying, crucify him. Pilate will say, you want to crucify your king? Yeah. Yeah. We want to crucify him. He came unto his own, but his own received him not. And why didn't they understand him? I think the, the, the conversation with Pilate reveals it. Pilate says, are you the king of the Jews? 
your own people handed you over to me. What, what did you do? Pilate said, what did you do that they would hand, hand you over as a king? And Jesus said this. He said, my kingdom is not of this world. My kingdom is from another place. Pilate says, you are a king then? Jesus, you are right in saying, I am a king. For this reason, I was born. The king came, and they didn't recognize him. Well, let's move here in these, as we conclude here, I just want to talk a little bit about your story and mine. What are the, uh, what are the things that I, lessons that we have here? I'll mention three of them. Number one, I think we see the importance of raising up godly leaders. You know, one of the things that started this whole thing was that the people looked down. I can't really blame them for this, but they looked out at, at Samuel's sons and they said, we can't follow these guys. We, we don't trust these leaders, and for good reason. And so there was a leadership vacuum, and they, they asked for the wrong thing, but I can understand why they were looking for something more. We see the importance, and we see, that we see this pattern of whenever there were not good leaders, we see that things just fell apart. And, and I think that's really important. So <clears throat> I, I'm going to do something here today. If, if you are, if you're under the age of 40, I want you to stand up. <clears throat> Just stand up for a minute. If you're under the age of 40, I'm not going to ask you who are over the age of 40. Okay, this is the future of the church. For those of us who are sitting, I don't want to discourage you today, but a few years, we're gone, Right? So, this is the future of the church. Thank you. You can be seated. This is the next generation. And what gets passed on and, and the convictions and the commitment to the Word of God will be determined by those that remain behind. So, how serious do we take that responsibility? For those of you over 40, you know, how seriously do we take that responsibility for the next generation of leaders. Very critical. Here's the second thing to think about. The second thing is to think about the danger of compromise. Do you ever buy something that you really wanted and you, you get it home and you go, I don't like it. Why did I buy that? Do you ever do that? You ever been back to the exchange counter with something you thought you liked, you got it home, you put it on, and you didn't like it, or it could be something else that you bought, and two weeks later you go, why did I get so excited about that? You know, Israel thought they wanted a king. They thought, this is going to do it. It wasn't very long, and they realized they just want it because that's what the people around them had. Give us a king such as the other nations have. Chapter 8. Verse 19, but the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel. They said, no, there shall be a king over us that we may also be like all the nations. We want to be like, we want to be like the other people around us. That's exactly what they were saying. You know, I, I remember being 
this, this is to all of us, but I, re I remember being young, like the guys in the front row here. I remember going to school and, you know, I did want to be like, I didn't want to be the oddball out. I, uh, I want people to think I was cool in some way. And I, I just remember the, the, the pressure of that, of, you know, you want to be somebody that's with it. So you're living in this culture and, and you're, you're, you're fighting this, this battle with wanting to be with it and yet feeling like that's maybe not the right thing to do. I, I just remember that feeling, getting up and, and struggling uh, with that battle. And what I think we have to understand is this. Jesus said, my kingdom is, is not like this one. My kingdom's not of this world. So in some ways, Jesus was not cool in his culture. He, he was not in touch in his culture. He was an oddball out in his culture. But he was very cool in his culture. And he was very with it in the kingdom that he was building. And he was far from an oddball in his kingdom. And so here's the deal. You have to decide which kingdom you're going to be an oddball in. Because it's either one or the other. You're either going to fit in here or you're going to fit in in God's kingdom, but you can't do both. You can't do both. And that's for all of us. We see here time and time again the danger of compromise, of, of wanting to be... Uh, like the world around us. And the scary thing is that you want something and you really want it, you kind of ignore, you know, the word of God and what he's saying, God may very well give it to you. That's exactly what he said to Samuel. Samuel, if that's what they want, give it to them. And, and I understand this. I, I, we raised three teenagers. When my kids were 14, 15, 16, they come home, they say, can I go watch this movie? I go look at it and say, yes or no. If I didn't think it was good, I'd say, no, you can't watch it. When they got to be about a junior, somewhere in that junior, you know, 17 years of age, they come to me, they say, Dad, can I go see this movie? I'd say, you know what, I don't think it's a good movie, but you can decide. Why did I do that? I did that because I wanted my children to begin making their own decisions from their own heart. And God wants you, God wants your heart, by the way. He, he could control you. He's the most powerful thing. He could control everything about your life, but he doesn't do that. He's going to allow, he'll tell you, he'll warn you, and then he'll allow you to make those decisions. Here's the final thing I want to say. <clears throat> the final point I wrote down is, is that you don't need a king. You already have a king. You have a king. If you're a believer, if, if you are redeemed, if you've been forgiven, whatever word you want to use, you've been born again, if you put your faith in Christ, you have a king. So don't set too much stake on the next elections coming up. You know, I think we should pray for godly leaders. I've, you know, we've seen the importance of leaders. But let's not forget. Let's not forget who we're really under here. We have a different king. Our problems are not going to be solved with the next election. You know, po politicians, despite their good intentions, will often become self-seeking 
and corrupt in the process. We see it throughout the scripture. So just remember, you have a king. He's not running for office. He's already in office. Nobody voted him in. He's there by the nature of who he is. He will never take advantage of you. He will never make a decision on your behalf that isn't the best thing for you. He will never ask you to support him for just selfish purposes that he might have. And his devotion to you is so deep that he would literally give up his life for you. He is preparing a place in his kingdom for you and he's coming back to take you to that place and give you that place. And when he comes, he's not coming as a young baby. He's not coming as a carpenter's son. They're not going to pluck his beard or spit in his face. Not this time. Not this time. He will come in power and and glory and, and majesty. And, you know, if you read through Revelation, we're not looking for a politician. We're not looking for... Uh, some superhero. We're not looking for a prophet. We're looking for our king. That's who's coming. Let me just conclude with this description of that king. It's a little different than the first time around. Revelation 19, verse 11. Then heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and the one sitting on it called faithful and true and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like flames of fire and on his head are many diadems and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood and the name by which he is called is the word of God. And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure were following him on white horses and from his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron, and he will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of the God Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh he has written the name, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And that's your king. And that's your hope. And that's who God is calling us to reign, not sometime in the future, but here and now in in each of our lives. Father, this morning we thank you for uh, this story, this part of the story, a reminder of who is to be the king in our lives. Father, it's your desire to reign in our hearts and in our lives because you are that king. Father, I pray for each one of us here. There's something that you're wanting to say to us today, each one of us. Probably something a little, something different for each one of us, but we pray that as we conclude here that we would hear uh, what it is that you are wanting to speak to us. Father, use your word today in our lives, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.